Hello everyone, uh, today we will be reading from John chapter 13, verses 18 to 30. I am not referring to all of you, I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of scripture, he who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival, or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Thanks, Toby. Let's pray uh, before we have a closer look at this passage. Gracious Father, thank you for the Bible, and thank you for uh, this Gospel of John, so magnificently uh, told. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired it. Please help us now as we reflect on these words, this particular part of this Gospel, and may our faith in Jesus be enriched and our love for him increased. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Did anyone uh, see Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars? Yeah, who missed it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you didn't, Chris uh, Rock, he was hosting the night, made some lame joke about Will's wife, Jada. Uh, Will gets up from his uh, seat in front of in the front row. He walks up to Chris uh, and on live TV, he smacks him in the face. Uh, and he sits down yelling at him uh, to keep his wife's name out of his mouth uh, a couple of times. Uh, later, Will received an Oscar. Uh, he made no apology to Chris in his acceptance speech. Uh, but he seemed to be uh, to justify himself as some kind of protector of women. Now, uh, I, I quite like Will Smith. Um, he comes across to me, or he's come across to me, as a fairly unflappable, easy kind of guy. Uh, but clearly there's a dark side. And before you have a go at him, how would we look if every violent word or every violent action that we have thought or done was flashed up on a screen for everyone to see? Imagine that. I imagine that'd be pretty embarrassing. And for the person that wasn't embarrassed, that didn't think it was a problem, well, <laughs> that they didn't think that what they'd said or done or thought, they haven't done anything shameful... Uh, that'd just be further indictment on the darkness in them. The world is dark. It's coarse. It's crass. It's full of malice and violence. And if we are, if we're honest, so are we. And there seems to be no cure for it. No consistent light. Except one. And that's where we're going in the passage today. We're going to see Jesus shine in the darkness. But first, let's recap on where we've been. So far in chapter 12, we see Jesus, his final public appeal, 
uh, to those who hate him to believe in him and uh, to be saved. Uh, so he did that in chapter 12 and then in chapter 13 we see uh, the start of his final words to his disciples before he's arrested and murdered. Uh, in fact, these words are spoken just hours before uh, just hours before that, before he's crucified. And the first 30 verses, at least, in chapter 13, seem to be a narrative commentary, I reckon, on chapter 1, verse 5, where we uh, you can read, the light shines in the darkness, uh, but the darkness hasn't overcome it. Now, the first two verses of chapter 13, they kind of restate this in their own way, and it's something of a of an intro to the rest of this chapter, chapter 13. Verse 1, we see the light shines in the darkness as Jesus as Jesus loves his disciples to the end. Uh, so we read last week, and uh, now it was just before the Passover festival. Uh, Jesus knew the hour had come uh, for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Which is unpacked in verses 3 to 17, which we saw last week, uh, as te- Jesus teaches his disciples what love looks like. It's humble and it's self-sacrificial. And then in verse 2, uh, we see the darkness with the devil at work through Judas to betray Jesus. So the evening meal was in progress, you read, and the devil had already prompted Judas, uh, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. But the darkness doesn't overcome the light. Not here. As we see in this passage today. As we see, firstly, we'll see, Jesus knows who will betray him. Uh, secondly, yet he still loves them. And so thirdly, so that as we reflect on this, we might shine like him in this dark world. So, firstly, Jesus knows who will betray him. And he knows this, it's to fulfill scripture. As he quotes from Psalm 41. A psalm uh, written about a thousand years before Jesus, a psalm written by King David. Uh, David came to see, uh, he came to be seen as something of a shadow of the coming Messiah, uh, a king who would come from his family line, the true king and saviour of God's people. So much of David's life and David's experience as king came to be seen as ultimately fulfilled in the life and person of the Messiah, which Jesus claims for himself. Quoting from Psalm 41, so verse 18, he says, He who shared my bread, quoting from Psalm 41, has turned against me, or literally lifted his heel up against me. Someone who shares bread is is a friend, someone close to him. Uh, And like David, Jesus is saying he shares bread with someone close, a friend, who's lifted his heel up against him. It's an interesting phrase, lifted his heel up against him, isn't it? It's a... In many countries today, uh, you're probably aware, it's considered disrespectful to show the sole of your foot uh, to someone. I went to Indonesia a few years ago now, and it was certainly the case there. Don't show the sole of your foot to people. And the reason is because the sole is considered to be the lowest and the dirtiest part of the body, since it touches the dirty ground, right? So that's the idea going on here, with uh, Jesus saying a close friend will... will lift the sole of his feet against him, uh, it's to treat him with disdain, treat him like a piece of dirt on their shoe, like an object to be bought and sold. Uh, But Jesus tells his disciples this is actually uh, to firm up their belief in him later on. So verse 19, he tells the disciples, I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Uh, Literally, in the Greek, it's so that when it happens, you will believe that I am which can mean I am who I am, 
Uh, or it can also be an allusion to the divine name, uh, the name that God gave Moses hundreds of years before Jesus at the burning bush, the I am, the great I am. Now, Jesus has certainly suggested uh, this already of himself, that he's the I am, uh, but he's saying once he's betrayed, as he predicts, in fulfilment of scripture, the disciples will believe that he's not just the Messiah, the promised Messiah, King David's greatest son, more than that, that he's God the Son in the flesh. So that's that whoever accepts those Jesus sends will end up accepting not just some man or some woman, uh, but they'll accept God himself. Verse 20, we see that. Uh, Jesus wants his disciples then and now to know and to believe that he is the I Am, God himself, come in the flesh. And so there's nothing he doesn't know or hasn't ordained, not even the one who will betray him. Verse 18, he says, I know. I know who are those I've chosen. He says, including Judas, Jesus knows who are his and who are not. He knows not just as the promised Messiah, but as the I Am, God himself. And as such, he knows because he's chosen those who are his by their faith. Which might raise the question, how do we know Jesus has chosen us to be his own? I know someone who took uh, to Jesus like water to a, in a desert. Uh, they were super keen to hang around and chat about the Bible. They got into church. They even helped out uh, in many and various uh, ways at church. But then they walked away. In part, they struggled with uh, the idea of God ordaining everything and, and yet still calling them to give an account of their faith and the choices that they made. And so they distanced themselves from Jesus and his people. In the last conversation I had with them, they said that they just couldn't believe that Jesus would come back again. And even if he did, that they'd be hoping he'd understand anyway, um, that they didn't believe and, and overlook it anyway. As such, they're not chosen by Jesus. Unless they come back to faith in him, they can have no assurance of anything from Jesus which sadly they currently don't. Which illustrates how we can be sure Jesus has chosen us. Clearly it's not being amongst God's people in church. That's not how we know. Uh, Jesus' betrayer, he was with all the other disciples at the whole time. The whole time. So it's not by hanging around the right people, uh, whether the, that be long-time churchgoers or Christian family. To know for sure that Jesus has chosen us is if we believe in him. Believe he's the Messiah. Believe that he is the I am God. And persevere in believing this. Jesus' betrayer, he doesn't believe this. Otherwise, they'd never have betrayed him. But even to believe in Jesus itself, faith is a gift. As Jesus and Peter can chat earlier on, uh, with Peter saying uh, in chapter 6, well, we believe, speaking on behalf of all the disciples, that we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus replies, well, have I not chosen you? I chose you. Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas. He meant Judas. To believe in Jesus is a sign that Jesus has chosen us first. And so to persevere believing in Jesus as the Messiah and God, to believe, this only confirms that Jesus has chosen you to save you. So please, if you're listening uh, today and perhaps you've walked away from Jesus and feel like you've betrayed him even, think that you've blown it, 
for good, that you haven't, there's no chance for you to come back, well, you haven't. There is a chance if you return to faith in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Trust that he's, he's not just passing you a morsel here, but that he, is, he took himself to the cross, body and soul, for you to die and in your place to save you for, from a life that's in the dark into eternal life. Accept and the honour of his love for you. Take it from him and stay with him. Let him be your saviour and your God and then know for sure that he's chosen you from before the creation of the world to save you and to love you for all eternity. Trust him because he loves even those who betray him. Which brings us to the second point. Uh, Jesus loves, he still loves those who betray him. As we see Jesus honour and love Judas, as the story goes on, verse 22, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is probably John, the, the author of this gospel, he was reclining with, next to him. Uh, Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Now the Greek at the back end of this uh, passage, this little bit here, is a little bit more bare. The ESV kind of translates, translates it better. Uh, Simon Peter motioned to him, uh, to this beloved disciple, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So it was probably more like uh, Jesus drops the bomb, someone's going to betray me, uh, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And then Peter just catches John's eye, who happens to be sitting next to Jesus, and he goes, you know what everyone's wanting to ask, right? <laughs> oh, ask him, ask him. And, and John maybe was like, oh yeah, yeah, good point. <laughs> just goes, okay. So he leans back into Jesus and says, who is it? Who is it, Lord? And Jesus says to him, it's the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now there's a couple of mysterious things, uh, in this. Uh, the first thing is, now John knows, right? John knows what Jesus knows about Judas. So why doesn't he say anything? Clearly the other disciples, they've got no idea. We see that in verses 28 and 29. But John does. So why doesn't he speak up? Especially when Judas leaves. <laughs> why doesn't he follow him out and give him an ear bashing? You mongrel, I know what you're doing. Maybe it was because of the way that Jesus told him. Uh, he was clearly upset by it, and so maybe John thought it better to just keep it to himself. Who knows? We're not told. But the greater mystery is what Jesus goes on to do with Judas. Because, you see, a place of honour at a meal like this was next to the host. And that's where Jesus has put Judas, at the place of honour. Which is why Jesus can cut part, pass the bread to him and speak to him without the others hearing. It's also an honour for the guest uh, that the host gives the first bit of bread to. And so here is Jesus, fully aware of Judas, of his motives, of his thoughts, uh, and rather than refusing to have anything to do with him, he washes his feet, as we saw earlier in the chapter, and he honours him, he has him sit next to him, and then he offers him food. He treats him as someone close. He treats him as his friend. 
I wonder how long the gap between verse 26 and verse 27 is. How long did Jesus hold the bread out to Judas before he takes it and Satan possesses him? How long does he look him in the eye as Judas raises his hand to take it? There's a moving scene in the uh, classic bloody film, Braveheart, where William Wallace, played by Mel Gibson, unmasks an assailant only to reveal that it's his friend and ally, Robert the Bruce. And he falls back in unbelief to silently weep. And I wonder if there's something like this on Jesus' face as Judas takes the bread and leaves with Satan into the darkness as he loves Judas right to the end. Jesus could have outed Judas, set Peter onto him. Sure, Peter would have had a ball. Uh, He could have called down fire on him. He could have at least sent him off shame-faced with an ear bashing, but instead Jesus loves him. Not only does uh, does the light shine in the darkness here, the darkness has not overcome it. And there's no greater example of darkness than here with Satan possessing the one who leaves Jesus to get things in order to betray him. No wonder, no wonder John comments there in verse 30. Uh, And it was night. As as soon as Judas has taken the bread, he went out. And it was night. And yet even here, where the darkest, the greatest darkness stands, uh, starts to descend, especially here, Jesus shines. When I was in high school, uh, my family went to the Gold Coast for a holiday and we just stumbled across a little gallery that had a remarkable piece of art in it. Uh, it was simply called Burning Rope. Uh, it was a huge painting. It's probably four metres by two metres. Yeah. And it was of a, a long piece of rope just strung between two posts in the dark of night on fire. Uh, it's still stuck in my brain as one of the most striking pictures I've seen. The Burning Rope. That's just that much more dazzling for the darkness all around it. And here in chapter 13, Jesus is that burning rope. The darkness of Judas and Satan moving to see Jesus dead just highlights Jesus' burning and dazzling love for Judas. Such that not only has the darkness not overcome the light here, the light shines that much brighter for it. Which brings us to our third point. Because Jesus shines like this in the darkness as our Saviour and Lord, we should shine like him. Shine like him as we humble ourselves and love others and love our Judas. Firstly, because they're not actually our real enemies. As the Apostle Paul can say, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The Judases in our lives, they are flesh and blood. They are not our real enemy. The spiritual powers of darkness and evil are. And we know who has control over them. We see that in our passage today. You might have noticed it. As soon as Satan possesses Judas, what does Jesus say? Get on with it. And he obeys. He has to leave immediately. Jesus is calling the shots to get what's done, to get what he wants done. Even what Satan does, he does 
ultimately for the glory of Christ. As Jesus is handed over and crucified at the very peak of what seems to be the reign of darkness and evil, as the Son of God is shamed and crushed and killed, Christ turns that into his greatest triumph. He rises from the dead three days later to disarm the powers of evil, the principal power being to tempt people to sin and then accuse them and condemn them for that sin. Christ takes that power, that written record of our wrongs, and he nails it on that cross with his own death and says, paid in full. For any who believe in Jesus, it's been paid in full. Satan and his forces, the forces of darkness, they've got nothing on you. They're a toothless tiger. They're being yanked by their tails by the great I am in the person of Jesus. And so you are free. You are free to shine like him. To love and even honour the Judas in your life. But it might take a bit of practice. Your light might be a flickering torch at times. Because let's face it, who feels like loving their Judas the way Jesus did, eh? Nobody. In fact, not even Jesus did. As he thinks about Judas and what he's going to do, he's troubled in spirit there, we're told in verse 21. He feels about as inclined to love and honour Judas as we would ours, our Judas. But in spite of his feelings for Judas, Jesus honours him and loves him to the end which is an encouragement for us as we look to humble ourselves and honour others, particularly those who betrayed us, who betrayed our friendship or our love, who've let us down, who've unfriended us on Facebook or Insta or Snapchat, who've slagged us off to others, who've used us, who've pretended to be our friends. We don't have to feel good about them, to honour them and love them. but we are called to. Now, our Judas might be a work colleague, might be a fellow student, or they might be sitting right next to you now. We might be married to our Judas, or have children that are our Judas. And as we think of them now, perhaps we're troubled in spirit now, and our first instinct might be just to blow them off, not to have anything to do with them, maybe even make sure others know how awful they are. I wonder, though, as followers of Jesus, how, might, how we might follow in his footsteps and not be overcome by darkness, but instead to honour our Judas and to love them. Perhaps it's just by refusing to be violent towards them in our thoughts, in our words and in our deeds. Perhaps it's just leaving things open in such a way that we're prepared at some stage to offer them our time and our love Perhaps it's to kindly hold their gaze in a conversation as we leave it open for them to know our forgiveness and our desire to reconcile. Perhaps it's firstly to actually forgive them. Now you might be so angry at them, and rightly so, since anger is a God-given gift that says things are not right, and you might be incapable of forgiving them in your own strength, which means the best way to love them the best way to love your Judas is to pray that God help you forgive them. Maybe that's the first step in you loving your Judas, to pray that God help you forgive them, or just to help you to want to ask to help you forgive, forgive them. No matter how small it is, no matter how small a star is, it'll always show in a dark sky. So let's not react 
like the world to those who betray us and hurt us. Let's not meet evil with evil, but with humility and love and honour and prayer. As Christ shone his light in the darkness, so may we shine like him. And I'm going to pray that we would be able to. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much that Christ did shine in the darkness, loving his enemies, loving Judas right to the end. We thank you that he, in that love, shone so brightly. Not only as he endured the betrayal of Judas, but as he suffered at the hands of those that he created, the hands of evil men, the injustice and humiliation, the darkness of the cross. Please help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus so that we might shine like him in this dark world and love those around us, our Judases. And we pray this in his name. Amen.